Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Bless and exalt you, Lord. We worship and magnify your name. Once again, Father, we come before you to receive instructions that we may live the life you've ordained for us as soldiers are called by your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Turn it to be. Praise God. All right, so we we're going to continue with uh, a new series on keeping coals of fire, and this is going to be part number two of this series. Part two, keeping the coals of fire. Um, our test is actually Romans twelve, verse number twenty. So we can easily go there. Or twenty twenty one. Therefore, if the enemy hunger feed him, <clears throat> if a thirst give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt hold coal of fire on his head. And verse twenty one says, Be not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. So, uh, this night we're going to look further into the statement of Apostle Paul. And looking at this statement, I can, I can readily say, it's one of the most difficult statements to take in by anybody. One of the most difficult Suggestions that you want to give to anybody for him or her to take in is really, really a difficult thing. And you can agree with me. For you to bless your enemy, for you to do good to your enemy is uh, a very difficult task. And uh, we'll be able to see why that is so, because human nature generally love revenge. Human nature generally love revenge. We like to pay back. Praise God. Are you with me? But if we must stay on as believers, in relation to what Jesus stands for and represents, then our concept of dealing with enemies should change. To reflect who Jesus is and to be able to stand at his disciples. If we must be Christ followers, then our concept or perception of dealing with enemies must change. To reflect who he is and what he stands for. We be his disciples. In John 14 verse 23, Jesus said, 
If a man loves me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him. I will come unto him and make an abode with him. The condition for himself and the father coming to dwell within us is that we keep his words. Is that we keep his commandments. Is that we follow his, his instructions. So, keeping his words is vital to maintaining our true relationship with the Father and the Son. Very, very vital. Keeping his words is very, very vital. <clears throat> and I wish to say this to every one of us. This is not a general statement. When I mean general statement, it's not saying, hey, you all. But it's very personalized. Hallelujah. If a man loves me, this is if you people love me. If a man loves me, he will keep my words. And I, my father, will love him. I will come unto him. <laughs> and make an abode with him. It's very personalized. So, we all can be in church, but we all may not have the same relationship with the Father and the Son. So the condition to building that relationship is keeping his words. So, the amount or the level of obedience you have in his words, his word guarantees your relationship of the Father and the Son being with you. You being an abode of the Father has to do with you being able to keep his words. So that's why I say it's not, it's not a generalized statement. It's very specific. It's very personal. Praise God. So you may be in church, you may be in the congregation, but your relationship with the Father is completely unique and very different from whatever any other person you have. And that is based on how much of the Word of God you keep into yourself. How much you embrace in the Word and agree with what the Word says. He brings the Father and the Son to have a relationship with you. Let's take a look at what Jesus said concerning what we're going to live with. Matthew 5, 44. Praise God. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. Now I want you to look at this. Love your enemies. I'm, as we go, I'm going to explain what it means. All of these uh, words that are used. Love your enemies. Bless them that cause you. I mean, is it possible you see somebody really causes for you and then you bless the person? And that's the issue. 
Do good to them that hate you. You know somebody hates you. Are you going to be able to do good to such an individual? That is what the test of Christianity is all about. Praise God. Amen. And he said, pray for them. And I'm going to explain this like I, I keep saying. Pray for them who despisefully use you and persecute you. One of the ways by which you make people come back to God, when you say pray for them, it's in this contest. But then it's, vengeance belongs to God, so you, you don't need to think of revenge yourself of what anybody has done to you. When you pray for them, God takes them up and reveals himself to them and they end up repenting, then the peace you're looking for, you have it. You have the peace when you're praying for them. When you're praying for them, you are indirectly committing them to God. God takes them over, change your mind, and then they become, in quote, born again. And because they are not born again, those who are supposed to be your enemy becomes now what? Your brothers. This is what your prayer does for your enemy. It causes God to change them. We will deal with that fully. Praise the Lord. So praying for your enemies to die or be harmed in any manner doesn't seem to fall into place when it comes to the mind and the perfect will of God. It doesn't fall into place. It doesn't agree with the mindset of God and even Jesus. We must first of all realize that He washed us from our sins. Amen? And that is even when we're His enemies. He washed us, He cleansed us from our sins. Praise the Lord. So the, the, the idea is this. If he did that to us, then we should be able to do that to other people who are now our enemies. Did you get that? If you being an enemy of God, he picked you up, washed you up, cleaned you up, made you his friend, reconciled you to himself, then God expects you to extend that same grace to other enemies. The reason is that becomes the character of God which you now exhibit. Why? Because you are made in the image and likeness of God. So if God's character is such that he could forgive his enemies, he could do good to his enemies, then it becomes your character because you are born of his spirit. Hallelujah. Praise God. Are we still here? So now, when we look at that Romans chapter 12 verse 20. Therefore, if the enemies hunger feed him, if it has given to drink, for in so doing, that's why he called fire upon his head. What is he actually talking to us about? That's what we keep on saying. Let's look at something which I think will be of help to us. 
Romans chapter 2 verse number 4. Let's take it from the Amplified Translation. Romans 2 verse number 4. Or are you so blind as to trifle with and presume upon and despise and underestimate the words of his kindness and forbearance and long-suffering patience? Are you unmindful or actually ignorant of the fact that God's kindness intended to lead you to repent, to change your mind, and in a man to accept God's will? Praise the Lord. Are you unmindful of that? Okay, thank you from the King James in the very short form so that you see what I mean. Praise the Lord. Or despise it now the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leaded it toward to repentance. Now you need to see the character of God here. He had long suffering. Even when you are so rebellious, he's still long suffering towards you. You do whatever thing you do, he forbears. He cannot, he puts up with you. And all of those things that he's doing, they are called his goodness. This is goodness and forbearance and long suffering end up leading you to do what? To repentance. Praise God. And so, if this is the nature of God, this is what God expects us to exhibit. You need not to pick this up. So, your repentance is factored on God's will. On God's mercy, on God's long-suffering, forbearance and kindness. Look with me, John chapter 6 verse 44. Your repentance is factored on this God's mercy, his long-suffering, his forbearance. <coughs> Excuse me. Praise God. Look at what he said. No man can come to me. The word there is can. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up on the last day. And this is part of the things that God uses to draw you. Romans 2 verse 4. No man can come to me. Just nobody. So your, your repentance is not factored on, oh, one day, hey, when I gave my life to God, when I, when I gave my life to God, you can give your life to God, but on the first place you were a slave to Satan. He found you. He picked you. He gave you what it takes for you to think twice about the condition of the life that you're living in. Praise God. So your repentance is what you achieve by the release of his goodness and love towards you. The long suffering, the kindness, all of those things we'll find in Romans chapter 4 
I mean chapter 2 verse number 4 are uh, the thing that finally ended up you becoming born again in quote or getting to know who God is so if this is the character of God if this is the nature of God and you are born of the spirit of God then that is the character he wants you to exhibit hallelujah You want you to have the same conduct towards your enemies. He wants you to exhibit the same gracious influence towards your enemies. And so, what is the point here? If those things enables you to turn to God, when you exhibit them towards other people, they end up melting them and turning them towards you. You say, Pastor, you don't understand. These guys, their heart is so hardened. Oh, yes. But the truth of the matter is, there is no heart or mind so hard, so stony, that love cannot melt. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, your kindness may be the meat of begetting your enemy. And revealing his sense of guilt to him. And for being your constant enemy. You see, when you become so good to your enemy, they begin to feel guilty in their heart. Why am I doing this to this person who so loved me? Meaning, if you truly want to conquer your enemy, you're going to exhibit love. You're going to exhibit love. This is the way God went. He made your heart out of his love. He gave you his heart, Jesus Christ, and you turn back to him. You start regretting your past. He never told you anything. He only gave you his gift. So the more you reveal love to people, the more they turn around. Though we have some people, yes, that is not the issue. That is not the problem. You see, you are dealing with God. You are working with God. It makes no difference. Keep on doing good to people. Keep on showing love, whatever it is. Let him turn around but bite you. It makes no difference. Just keep on living that life. I'm telling you, you are going to, you don't have, you don't only have a place in God, but then you're going to be rewarded. Because that's the nature of God. Praise God. So here Paul is like saying, instead of revenging, render kindness, return curses for injuries, and all of those things that they are doing against you, just reverse it. May hate you, love them. May speak bad words against me, speak good words. When he says bless, you know what it means to bless? When we get there, I'll make you see that. In Genesis chapter 2, the Bible tells us that God blessed the Sabbath day. What it means to bless is to speak good things about something. The Sabbath day was just an ordinary day. What does it mean for God to bless the Sabbath day? God spoke good things about the Sabbath day. That is why you can so bless God. Lord will bless you. How do you bless God? You are just trying to speak good things about God. You are trying to say, God, you are gracious. You are trying to say, God, you are wonderful. That's what it means, Lord, I bless you. 
You don't have anything to bless God with. Do you have anything? No. So to bless means to speak good of. So when he says bless your enemies, it means speak good of your enemy. Don't run them down. Don't make opportunities or privileges that will enable you to run them down before people. No. Say bless them. Say good things about them. Hallelujah. I know that's a little bit difficult, but then that is why you are born again. That is why you have the Spirit of Christ. Praise God. He says, So do you shall, you shall do what he calls a fire. Simply means you be by this kindness most readily subdue the people, make him feel most clearly wrong within his spirit. He begins to think twice about the life he's living towards you. When you keep on revealing goodness and love to people that hate you. Praise the Lord. So you see, some of the people you call to your enemies, by the time you start living this life, you're going to be turning around. Amen? You're going to be turning around. If you go along the line of killing people, I was discussing this with somebody who get me on the phone. And a simple question. If with the level that we are today, especially in African churches, of killing enemies, huh? Why, why can't we kill the Boko Harams that are killing us? If Holy Ghost fire prayer kills enemies, they are there. Well, we are unable to do that. That tells you, whatever they are doing, just nothing but religion. Look at the terrorists all over the place. Channel the energy you have in killing your fellow brothers or whatever. Right? Your passive enemies. This one, they are not even passive. This one are known, known enemies. The burning churches, killing people, whatever. But yet you pray Holy Ghost fire in your church against your brother, against your sister. What about the terrorists? What are you doing with them? It shows you are powerless. And like a brother was speaking to me, one brother Peter, he said, Pastor David, I, I so cherish what you're teaching because the truth is this. If I have power to kill an enemy, that means I also have power to make the person repent. And that's true. If, if you have power to kill, why do you need, why don't you convert the power to kill to do what? To make the person repent. It is in power. So, the fact that we can't make people repent with our power shows that we don't really have power. We don't have it. We are just exhibiting our own enmity, you know, within us. We don't have power. If we truly have power, if you say you have power, you can call an enemy, you can call somebody, he's going to die. Yeah, why not you use that same power to make the person do what? Repent. It makes more sense than using the power to kill. Hallelujah. This is why you see, most time people pray for enemies to die, yet they are still alive. Because it doesn't make sense to God. So instead of thanking God all the time, what do you do? You spend about 70% of your time and energy trying to kill passive enemies that have refused to die. Because you kill them every day, but yet you see how more. 
Am I right? Because if you're killing, every day you go to the church, you killing enemies. Every day you killing, but they are still there. You're just wasting your time. Time you used to appreciate God. Time you used to thank God. Time you used to ask God for some very good thing. You spend it in trying to kill passive enemies. And the more you are doing that, the more enemies you have. And you never end up stop praying that prayer because every day one enemy must arise for your sake. Hmm? It's the book of Isaiah that the Lord said. They shall surely gather together, but not by me. He said, if any man shall gather together for your sake, they shall fall. Did he say so? Yeah, who is going to make them fall? God is going to make them fall. It's not you. He said, I made this smith to blind the coal on the fire. But no weapon formed against you shall do what? Shall prosper. That's what he said. So, why not you focus on God? I'll make you see that as we progress. Because he said it is what? I'll be an enemy to your enemies. Okay, let's look at that. I think, let's move on. I will touch it later. So, I'll tell you from the book of Exodus 23, but let's move on. Praise the Lord. So, the more we try to kill these enemies, the more we have wrong focus. So this passage is no way telling us to revenge ourselves of our enemies with evil in any manner. Praying for your enemies to die is not the will and the mind of God. And never in the New Testament spirit you can find that. Go with me to Psalm 23 verse 5. Hallelujah. Thou prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointed my head with oil. My cup runneth over. This thing is so simple. You know, we quote it, but we are not taking time to examine what the Lord is saying here, or what David is trying to say, or what Christ is trying to say. Hallelujah. If you want to analyze this, take for instance, you are saying, God, you prepare a table before me, the presence of my enemies. So, supposing your enemy dies, what happens? You see, God prepares a table so that your enemy can see more of God's power on your behalf. The more they look, the less they see, as people will say. And you should be focused on the table instead of focusing on the enemy. He is the one preparing the table in the presence of your enemy. He's not going to do it when your enemies are dead. He wants your enemy to see that in midst of what they are trying to do, he can furnish a table for you. Take it from message translation. Praise God. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. A six-course dinner. You know what it means to have a... You understand that? 
Like you're having a buffet. This, this one, this one, this one. See, it's called dinner. In the presence of your enemy. I mean, you wouldn't want to miss this kind of opportunity. Let the enemy be there while I'm looking at the course. Line up for me. Even if I must fight, let me first eat. Because that's well, give me the energy to fight. Am I correct, somebody? You can leave the food and you chasing enemies and God is say, leave that to me. Eat your food. But you won't listen to that. So what is the food that we're supposed to be eating? If you want to take a look a little bit on that. Remember when Jesus in John chapter 4 when Jesus came in, I mean, was talking to the women at the well and the disciples came in and they felt they went to get food. Okay, now you have food for us. I know you don't know the kind of food that I have. I mean, the food that God has given to me, the food that I'm partaking of. They were wondering, who has given me food? Say my food to do the will of him that sent me. When God is preparing a course before you, he's giving your, I mean, he's showing you who you are. He's revealing to you what you're supposed to do for him that will bring glory to his name. My food is to do the will of him that sent me. Revealing God's mind, God's will, God's purpose for you and to you. Now you leave all of those conversations you are supposed to be having with God and you are chasing enemies. That's where you can make progress in life, spiritually speaking. Because your focus is wrong. God is concerned about making something good out of you but you don't think about that. Praise God. Now for those of us who don't believe that that which you call the Old Testament had anything to do with the new. I just want to remind you tonight that Romans 12 20-21 is taken from Proverbs 25 verse 21. So let's go to Proverbs 25. Paul quoted from the book of Proverbs. So all of those uh Argument and debates of the, I'm a New Testament believer, believing their pieces, all of those stuff makes no difference because Paul himself spent time. Proverbs 25, verse 21. Praise God. This is where Paul quoted from. You see that? This is where he quoted from. And look at it. If the enemy be hungry, Give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. Look at the next verse. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. This is the part I love. <laughs> when you heap coals of fire, you get ready for reward. <laughs> Praise God. The Lord shall reward thee. And he did see that I did the Lord. I mean, Paul took this passage. He took his, the Ro- Ro- Roman 12 we're looking at. Verse 20, 21. is actually taken from Proverbs 25, 21, 22. As I see the synergy of the scriptures. 
But some of all this claim, no, we don't have anything to do with the Old Testament. Well, Paul, with all of his grace, was always quoting from the Old Testament. Hallelujah. If there's one book, there are no two books. One complements the other. We must understand that. Hallelujah. He says, so do you shall call a fr- I mean, fire upon his head. Again, I want to make you understand that this phrase, call of fire, is a metaphor taken from the melting of metals. You see, if you want to have gold, you take your gold, the raw one, put in whatever crucible, fire under, fire above, the thing will begin to melt, drop down, and the one that drops out of that is what you're going to make use of. Whether deceiver, the hardest metal so far is melted by what? By fire. So what he's trying to tell you is the hardest heart so far is melted by love. Can you get that? <laughs> the oil is put in the furnace. And the fire put under and above it. Understand that. So by the time the heat comes, it becomes liquefied. The liquid, you know, the time it draws, dropping down to the bottom of the furnace. And that is where you have your gold, your silver, anything you want to think about. It takes heat to melt them all. Amen? So, when you are heaping coal of fire, you, you melt the hearts of these people. The hardest hearts thus far, according to the word of God, cannot be melted by what? By love. Praise God. So, the whole of this passage, in relation to what Apostle Paul is talking about, heaping of coal upon the head of arrow of the enemy, is to produce not an evil but the most beneficial effect. It's not meant to produce evil. It's not meant to produce negative results. Heaping coal of fire does not produce negative results on the people that we are heaping the coal on. Praise God. So like we said, verse, verse 22... Look at verse 22. Take it from message translation. Let's read all of that from verse 21 to 22. Proverbs 25, 21, 22. Message translation. If you see your enemy hungry, go buy him lunch. <laughs> your lunch, right? <laughs> Praise God. If he's thirsty, bring him, I'll give you what? A drink. Look at the next thing. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness, and God will look after you. King James said, God will reward you. This one said, God will look after you. So, your protection, your reward coming from God is directly connected to you, heaping coal of fire upon your enemy, which has to do with your generosity towards them. How generous are you towards your enemy? If you have one. Praise God. 
God will look after you. Why will God reward you or take care of you for even call a fire on people's head if it is meant to destroy or to kill them? Will God be rewarding evil? Now the point. This is where Paul took his message from. And Paul was trying to say, listen, follow this instruction. God is going to reward you. God is going to protect you. Why will God reward you if it has to do with evil? If he being called a fire means killing people. Why will he reward you? Why will he protect you? So you see, sometimes we are losing the reward of God and the protection of God because we kill people with our ministries. Praise God. I mean, that's what he said there. He said he would reward you. He said he would protect you. Why will you do that? Only when you heap coal of fire, which have to do with all your generosity. That is to say, towards your enemy, be generous. Hallelujah. Are we here? See that we're losing our reward most times by the way we pray. We're losing our reward. And then I tell you that this doctrine of fire thing is not truly of God. Hmm? It is shifted the mind of the average believer from who God is to something else. For me, it is satanic. It's not God's doctrine. It's not exhibiting the mind of God. It's not in any way. Praise the Lord. You see, like I said the other time, we were enemies of God, Romans 5.10, but what did God do? He gave his only begotten son. He showed love even though we are his enemies. Hallelujah. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If when we were enemies, how did he reconcile us? He gave us his son. He showed love. The love met our hearts. And so, book of 1 John, Apostle John will write and say, We love you because you first loved us. What is that supposed to mean? You first loved us by giving us a son, and in turn we turn to do what? To love you. So, when you give gift to your enemies, what happened? You met their hearts. What's the natural response? They turn around to instead of being your enemies, to do what? To love you. You can change somebody's life instead of killing the person. Amen? So, following the pattern and the principle of God, we should be God's imitators. Instead of Holy Ghost fire. And you know what that means. We should be God imitators. All of those Holy Ghost fire prayer we pray have nothing to do with God. 
is an African religion. African modernized, synchronized, I don't know how to put it. It has nothing to do with God. Even look at the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which are the heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom of God, hallowed be done all. You understand that? He, he just went on, forgive us that trespass, even as we forgive those that trespass against us. Huh? After I say, lead us not into the Jesus, forgive us our trespass, if as we forgive those that trespass against us. Why? Because he first forgave us our trespasses. As we forgive those. Hallelujah. So, if he showed love to us while we were enemies, what is next thing we are supposed to do? Show love to our enemies. Because he first showed love to us. Now we can show love to other people. Hallelujah. So the past day God rewards you in your generosity. Even to your enemies. That's exactly what this passage is what it's all about. Praise God. Go back again to that Proverbs 25. Take it from maybe New Living Translation. Let's see what it says there. Proverbs 25, 21 or 22. New Living Translation. Let's take a look at that. If you can it. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. You will heap coal, I mean burning coals of shame on their head, and the Lord will reward you. <laughs> I, I mean, can you connect that? And can it be literal? You understand what I'm trying to say? Somebody hates you, but in the midst of that hatred, you see what I'm now when somebody is ashamed, that means he repents, he changes. That bony call will make the person to be ashamed. It, because it turns around and says, one, I mean, this person has always loved me, so why can I continue like this? I can, I mean, this is not right. The person changed because of your generosity. Look at it there. You will hear burning calls of shame on your heads. And the Lord will do what? Will reward you. I'm so particular about the issue of the reward. Praise God. So, keeping call of fire does not mean consuming the people, but to make them into kindness. I mean, with your kindness as well. Praise the Lord. So Paul is just simply saying, your kindness, your mercy, your generosity will make and soften and weaken your enemy's spirit towards you. That's why I said, call of fire will make them to be what? To be ashamed, you met them. They go to the place and say, No, no, there's no point. This guy, no, there's no point. Praise God. Why? Because you're manifesting the love, the call of fire. You're showing them generosity, you're showing them love. Friend, listen, when you're praying, just face your God. Leave the enemies to God. I'll make you see that as we move on. According to the book of Romans, say, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Say, vengeance is mine. Praise the Lord. 
Let me just read the scripture tonight and I will quote. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And then uh, look at the 18, 17, 18. We'll stop here tonight. Jesus got into the temple and he gave him the book to read. And this is what happened. And he was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he has opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember, they gave him the book. He was in the temple. Is that okay? Yeah, so gave him the book. He had to flip, flip, flip. And then he got up to the place where the book of Isaiah. He opened to the book of Isaiah. And then he got to the chapter, particular chapter. I'll show you the chapter now. And so this is what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Go to verse 19. To preach acceptable year of the Lord. Go to verse 20. And he closed the book. Now, what do you do? Look at that. Okay, so go with me to Isaiah 61, verse number 1. That's where you open to. Look at what he said there. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the broken hearted, to preach liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Go down. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now look at this. And the day of vengeance of our God. But when you go down to verse 21, you don't see the day of vengeance. <laughs> when he got to that place, he closed the book. Because his spirit does not go with vengeance. Vengeance belongs to God, not him. You look at that. And Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. We can't claim to be inheriting what belongs to him when we don't walk in the way he walks. When he read up to verse 2, he closed the book. He will not allow the word vengeance to come into his ministry. It's not part of his ministry. He came to save life, not to revenge. He came to give life, not to take life. And he is a firstborn, I say. So whatever thing he did, we are supposed to do. Whatever thing he taught, we are supposed to believe and preach. Praise the living God. So I want you to look at it critically. By the time he got to that place, the Bible says he closed the book. I love that statement. He closed the book. Go back there, Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 19 now. Look chapter 4 verse 19 again. To preach the assembly of the Lord. Look at verse 20. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister. And sat down. Look at that. <laughs> Praise God. He closed the book. And gave it to the minister. That is the person in charge of the temple. Took the book. Vengeance was missing. He has purged it for his ministry. Because no part of his calling. Why then must you 
being a follower of Jesus Christ, begin to carry vengeance. It means you don't have the spirit of Christ. But guess what? The Bible says he has given all the spirit of his son, whoever will cry what? Abba Father. So if we truly have received the spirit of his son, then of course, we must export vengeance from our ministry, from our prayers. He didn't come to kill. He came to save. We also are meant to save and not to kill. Praise the living God. He came to give his life as a ransom to many. We are meant to dispense our lives to people. To bring them more into life. To make that which is available to them or that was supposed to be available to them to be available to them. We are supposed to make them come to the place of joy and happiness. It is the goodness and love of God in our life that we must exhibit all times. Vengeance is no part of our calling. So heaping coal of fire have nothing to do with vengeance. But to melt the heart of wicked people by your generosity. Is it making sense to you? Praise God. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org. God bless you.